Coming up this hour, we're joined for a second day by Aubrey Sampson. We're going to talk about Lent and then be joined for two segments by Pastor Greg Armstrong. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on yet another cold Wednesday afternoon. Uh, but we are glad to be together. And uh, as you know, we've got we got guest host over the next week or two or more as Ian Simpkins is no longer here, uh, as Ian is moving down to Nashville, Tennessee, to take a new job down there. Uh, and we're joined today, guest hosted by uh, Aubrey Sampson for the second straight day. So, Aubrey, I woke up today going, well, hope she comes back. So. <laughs> hope she shows up. Exactly. What will I do without her? I'm back. Exactly. You made it easy, Brian. So, well done. Thank you. Oh, and my pleasure. Pleasure. I'm really glad to have you back. It was a fun show yesterday, and today we got some good stuff planned. Uh, and so, uh, really glad to have you. And so, Aubrey, I did want to jump in here right off the bat because uh, today is Lent, is the beginning of Lent. Mm-hmm. It is Ash Wednesday, which mm-hmm. is uh, very different for people in the midst of COVID. Uh, right. Before talking about Lent, let me ask you Ash Wednesday. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but I grew up in a very Christian Missionary Alliance evangelical church. Never did Ash Wednesday. It was was kind of the Catholic thing out there. (laughs) Right. Uh, Did you grow up uh, observing Ash Wednesday, observing Lent, or is this all kind of a new thing for you? This is new for me. I grew up in a good old Southern Baptist church where I came to Christ and um, my yeah, my parents were just very inundated in the evangelical world. So Mm -hmm. I would say... (laughs) wrongly, but I'll just be honest, we were probably suspicious of of lenters. You you know what I mean? (laughs) So I think in college, when I saw some of my friends that were faithful followers of Jesus show up on Wednesday to class with ashes on their forehead, I thought to myself, what is this? (laughs) And of course, over the years, I I have learned about the high church calendar and learned that evangelicals have missed out on this beautiful rhythm of lament as we begin to move towards Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same. I could really? in, in middle school and high school and like your friends would come in with ashes on their head and you're like, I didn't even know you went to church. One, <laughs> two, this is kind of weird. <laughs> right. So, what is this about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's what I want to start. Uh, I, I don't want to turn this into an interview of you, but but to have somebody co-hosting on Ash Wednesday in a time of Lent who wrote a book on lament called right. The Louder Song right. and wrote a Lent devotional. Like we, we're just kind of teed up here. So uh, here, let's start here. Explain the concept of lament, the whole book that you wrote, yeah. but then how does it tie into Ash Wednesday yeah. and Lent that we're about to enter into? Yeah. Um, so the book I wrote is called The Louder Song, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament. And um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I wrote it. And then I'll tell you what lament is. Um, I wrote the book because in 2015, uh, Kevin and I were opening the doors to our church, Renewal Church. Um, my first book, a book called Overcomer, about overcoming shame through the gospel was coming out. And that was all in one week in October. That same week, I woke up unable to walk. Literally, wow. just one morning, could put no pressure on my legs. Kevin was carrying me around the house. I was eventually hospitalized, diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that impacts my joints. Okay, I'm doing awesome now, but like six years ago, it was not so good. Yeah. Um. So the so that happened, but then in that season, we were also grieving the loss of my cousin Cameron, who I grew mm. up with, who was like a brother to me. Cameron um, was tragically killed while snowshoe hiking in Crater Lake National Park, Oregon. He stepped oh, wow. out onto a snow cornice and then plummeted uh, to his death. Wow. 
So um, that was devastating, not just that he died, but the way he died. And then um, simultaneously, our youngest son was coming off of a pretty intense spinal cord surgery and receiving a lot of care. So it was a season of hell, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time since I was almost in middle school. But it was the first time that I (laughs) was like, oh, is God real? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I, okay, and God, if you're real, what's this about (laughs) happening all at once? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, in God's goodness and in God's perfect timing, I um, just began to look through scripture, um, knowing that the Bible is filled with sufferers. And what are these sufferers do in times of grief and heartache and when life feels out of control? And I found that they were lamenting. Lament Mm. is a biblical word that really, it actually means an impolite plea. They were pouring out their heart to God and it was ugly. And I think for a long time growing up, like we talked about in the evangelical church, I did not know that lament was like a thing. I didn't know that it was a biblical language. I didn't know that it was a spiritual discipline. I didn't know that God actually gave us this beautiful way to pour out our hearts to him when we don't even know if he's listening. Mm -hmm. And through my own lament journey, studying the scripture and practicing lament, um, God met me in really profound and powerful ways. That's what the louder song is about. That's a long way of saying. Um, I just worked with uh, Nav Press and Tyndale to put together a free Lent devotional. So listeners, you can go on my um, Instagram page, obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. You can find the link for it there and sign up. Um, It's a seven-week devotional leading up to Easter where I will walk you through your own journey of lament. I'll teach Mm. you about lament. We'll talk about personal lament for personal grief, but also communal lament for like such a time as this when so many of us are um, hurting as a community, as neighborhoods, as people groups. We'll talk about that as well. And then on Holy Saturday, I'm going to give you a tool where you can actually craft your own lament, just you and God together working on that. And then, of course, we'll celebrate Easter Sunday mm-hmm. together. So I believe um, Lent and Lament and Ash Wednesday all connect because this is really a sober time for the church to consider our humanity, our frailty, our sufferings, uh, to join with sufferers around the world, to mm-hmm. acknowledge that we are but dust. Um, and that without the bloodshed and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, we would be lost. And yeah. so, um, Ash Wednesday lament, it all sort of fits together thematically just to say, hey, uh, we are in the middle of the already not yet. We are waiting for God's return. We are waiting for that final hope. But we acknowledge right now things are not okay. And what can we do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's at navpress.com. Uh, and the louder song, uh, people who grew up like you and I in the evangelical church, where again, all Lent ever meant to me was my Catholic friends had to give something up <laughs> for 40 <laughs> like, days. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> they weren't able to do it. Maybe give a Reader's Digest version to those evangelical people like us out there who never did anything like this. Uh, as to why people give stuff up at Lent, again, yes. why it's important. You already <laughs> did a great job with it, but maybe a minute or two on just let's urge people to kind of embrace it this year. Yeah, I mean, I think there are different reasons why we why we do it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some of it, just I'll I'll speak really an- anecdotally and personally. You give up something that either 
you love or you know you're spending too much time with. Like maybe it's become an idol. I think like Netflix is a great example. Social media is a great example. Drinking alcohol is a great example. And um, you give that up for those 40 days. uh, And every time you long for that thing, you go, okay, Lord, here I am really wanting to watch my favorite show on Netflix. Can you fill me with your presence instead? And it's kind of this constant... um, Constant, like, uh, humbling, constant giving up, constant surrender, constant sacrifice. And the beauty of it is that on Easter Sunday, you're celebrating the Lord's resurrection. You're celebrating, you know, all things being made new. And then you get to indulge in this thing again. (laughs) And ideally, it doesn't have as much control over you as it did. It's back in its proper place. And um, then you're actually enjoying it for what it is, a gift from God, not this thing that has control over your life. Now, a church historian might talk through like the 40 days of Jesus um, in the wilderness, or they might talk about um, different spiritual aspects of it. That's my experience of giving up something anecdotally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's all—it's just so interesting how those of us who didn't grow up in that tradition, <laughs> it's still just like this weird thing, but it is powerful. Our church uh, that I used to work in, our pastor kind of went on a limb and started an Ash Wednesday service and turned into one of my favorite days of oh, the year. I love it, was that. Just, it was just really good. And he kind of went on a limb to do it because people were like, uh, what right. are you doing? And I think people can like mistakenly think it's legalism and perhaps, yeah. and of course, anything taken to the wrong degree can be legalism. But I like to think of it as a spiritual discipline where we're just like humbling ourselves, surrendering yeah. something to the Lord and experiencing his goodness in it. Yep. So today is the beginning of Lent. It is Ash Wednesday as we begin the journey uh, towards Easter. Well, we're glad to have you joining us again on this Wednesday afternoon. Thrilled to be joined again, like yesterday, with by Aubrey Sampson. And we're both going to be joined uh, by Pastor Greg Armstrong. He's been on the show before. Greg is the founding and lead pastor of Renew Church uh, and has a lot of great things to say about the church, specifically the multi-ethnic church. Greg is going to join us for the next two segments here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson today as Aubrey joins us for a hello, second hello. day. Glad to be back. It's great to have you again, Aubrey. My name is Brian Fromm. We are glad to have you joining us. And as if it's not enough fun just for Aubrey and I to be talking, we thought we would bring in another pastor and make this just uh, out of control crazy. So with that in <laughs> mind, we are thrilled to be joined by the pastor of Renew Church, uh, that being Pastor Greg Armstrong. Greg, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, man, what an honor to be here with you. I'm, I'm excited just to hang out. And, and it's just great. This is great. This is good times. Absolutely. This is great. I believe your second time on The Common Good. So thanks for coming back. Before we jump into just our discussion and some questions, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Greg Armstrong, our pastor of Great Church, um, a multi-ethnic church in the west suburbs of Chicago called Renew. I've been married 16 years, three boys in my house, very active, currently sitting in a closet just to get away from the noise for a minute. <laughs> but I, but I, I love them, though. I love them. I want you to hear that. Sometimes my church says, that, you know, sometimes you go a little hard. No, nah, I'm just mm. joking. I, I love my family, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's what I do. I, I love that. And I, I'm from Chicago, uh, born and raised on the west side of Chicago. I love this city and I'm just grateful to be a part yeah. of what God's doing here. 
That's That's awesome. awesome. And so, Greg, you describe your church, Renew Church, uh, as a multi-ethnic church. And we've had this discussion, Ian and I, over the past couple months. But uh, this may sound like a really basic question, but describe for people out there not only what a multi-ethnic church is, uh, but but how it just feels different than maybe what most of us are used to in churches, especially out here in the western suburbs. Yeah, I grew up in the traditional Black Missionary Baptist Church. My grandfather was a pastor for 40 years on the West Side. And so I'm very familiar with Black church and uh, and other contexts, white church contexts and some others. Multi-ethnic, uh, in, 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 from our estimation, is the totality of differences, ethnicities um, under the same roof within the same community. And that's not just on the that's just not on the congregational level, but even on the leadership level. Um, that there's a multi-ethnic presence in your church. Now, that's important because that's important for perspective. That's important for conversation. And I believe the disparities that we're witnessing in our world, they have to be tackled with a common front, a multi-ethnic mm. engagement. And so yeah. um, that's why we, that's why we do what we do. We see this happening in the West suburbs. God has placed us there um, to be a bridge as a church between different races and ethnicities. And I believe it's biblical. I believe when we look at the New Testament um, uh, text, I believe we see that within the scope of those that God was dealing with, that they were all from different tribes, races. And ultimately, you all know, that at, at the end of this whole thing, right? Like we're all going to be together in heaven. Um, uh, every race, every creed, every denomination, whatever you want to call it, worshiping God together. And I just believe we ought to see it now before yeah. we see it then. I love that image, Pastor. I think it is so powerful. I I, I can't tell you the conversations I've had with people that have said, there, there's not going to be race in the new kingdom. There's going to be no such thing. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says every tribe, every tongue. I mean, there's not going to be racism yeah. in the kingdom. There's not going to be trauma in the kingdom, but like, we're going to see this beautiful example. And so I love that your church is committed to seeing that here on earth now. I think that's yeah. really powerful, especially for such a time as this. And it's a, and yeah, it's a vision, right? And it's not perfect. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. something that we're always honest about saying that this is, we always want to place before us what we believe, what we believe God has given us. We don't see it as well mm. as we want to. Our church certainly mm. is multi-ethnic. It's not as multi-ethnic as I want it to be. Um, yeah. but, but ultimately, I believe that if, you, if you're striving after a vision that you believe God placed on your heart, that you need to go after it. Now, believe me, there have been times because multi-ethnic ministry is messy. And there have been plenty of times, guys, where I said, you know what, God, this is going to be a black church. You know what I mean? This is we're going to do it the easy way. It's going to be a yeah. black church yeah. it's be for black people. But the burden just it just will not leave yeah. me. Um, God continues to make sure we dig into a multi-ethnic community for his glory. Yeah. And, and Greg, you you talked earlier and, and a lot of the pastors we've had on who, who talk a lot about the multi-ethnic church talk about the intentionality needed. Could you unpack that a little bit? What does it look like uh, not to just hope for a multi-ethnic church, but to be intentional to try to build that? Well, if you want to build a multi-ethnic church family, you got to have a multi-ethnic life. And I think that's mm-hmm. the difficulty in in different leaders who want multi-ethnic uh, co- congregations and communities. Well, you you just can't build something that you're not living out. And so the first step in having yeah. a multi-ethnic church or community is living out a mul- your friends circle. If they all look like you, that's not that's not a multi-ethnic life. We need to begin to lean into you're relationships. Right. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta lean into relationships that can that can kind of rub up mm-hmm. against what our norms are. Relationships that have different perspectives, histories, and backgrounds. 
um, that's what makes the beauty of the kingdom so awesome because you don't just want it at church. You want it Monday through Friday as well, Monday through Saturday as well. And so that's the first step to being intentional about having multi-ethnic communities and, and church communities. And so, but then, but then again, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I don't ever want to treat this like a strategy, right? This is not multi-ethnic isn't a strategy. Mm-hmm. I believe it's God's will for yeah. his people to be engaged with all of humanity, right? Whether the, no matter the color or, or whatever you, whatever you want to say. And I just think it's, I think we should want that period. And I guess the biggest disparity for me as it relates to multi-ethnic is how tribal we are and how we really just don't want to hang out with people that are not mm-hmm. like us. Uh, but we miss out on the beauty yeah. of the Imago day. We miss out on the beauty of God's goodness in yeah. other people. We miss out on the cultures that are represented in God's people when we fail to have a multi-ethnic lifestyle. That's my opinion. And I wouldn't yeah, want it any good. other way. Some mm-hmm. of my best friends are of other ethnicities. And we just, <laughs> oh, listen, man, we have a blast and we're not offended, but we're also moving the kingdom forward together because so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all of us. Yeah. I think you just touched on something when you said we're not offended, because I feel like that's part of Kevin and I, as you know, lead a multi-ethnic church as well. And like you said, it's a vision. We're not totally there yet, but we're we're getting there. But I do think that piece about not being offended is so crucial. And I was just kind of wondering in your experience, what other sort of, I guess, practical handholds for people who want to engage in multi-ethnic relationships and conversations and and work and ministry what are some other things besides don't be offended? Would you say to people? Yeah, well, I mean, it's got to be gospel centric, right? Mm. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the twelve disciples who are around Jesus. These are just twelve ragamuffins that he found, and they all had different personalities, and they all had different histories and backgrounds. You have tax collectors with fishermen, etc. You had John the Beloved. You had all. They're just different people. And I think I think you have to begin seeing it in the scriptures first to say, well, well, Jesus has never had a monolithic life, like a monoethnic. Like he's he's been surrounded right. by so many different perspectives. Right. Peter's trying to chop off ears and then he's denying Christ. And then John is laying on Jesus' breast. <laughs> so this is all kind of, you know what I mean? I just couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine Peter laying. You yeah. know, just different people. And so I think if we take a gospel, a gospel centric perspective and say, all right, let me see it in the scriptures first. Then then that gives us a heart to engage. I feel what we feed ourselves is what we become more and more hungry for. And so if we feed ourselves this multi-ethnic mm, lifestyle that we see in the gospels, we'll be hungry to know another brother or sister. And you know what? Let me be honest. I say not offended, but you know, any relationship takes thick skin. Um, any relationship takes thick skin, That's true. but it's especially engaging in multi-ethnic relationships. You have to come to the table knowing that your life is probably drastically different than mine. And the, the world that we live in mm. just specializes in polarization. And you have to understand big picture mm-hmm. that if we live in a world that specializes in polarization, everything in this world is set up so that we actually draw away from each other and not draw towards each other. If we can take that step of saying, I'm going to just, I'm going to have coffee with a brother once every other week who's different than me, and we're going to build this relationship. And we're not going to be yeah. besties right away, but we're going to lean into what God is trying to do. <laughs> Maybe the Lord will do something with this, you know? Amen. That's, That's right. Word. Well, we're thrilled to be joined by Pastor Greg Armstrong, founding and lead pastor of Renew Church. 
uh, besides being the pastor of Renew Church, you are also the founder of Renew Movement. Could you tell us more? What is Renew Movement and, and what, could, what should our people know about it? Yeah, Renew Movement is a collective of worship leaders, artists, musicians. Oh, man, you know, I spent 20 years in church uh, as a worship pastor. So my, my mm. history is music uh, in church. And so, you know, a number of years ago, we gathered together um, a bunch of friends and we said, let's just host worship nights throughout the city. And and here's the cool thing. We began hosting the worship nights for ministry leaders so that they can have a place to come wow. and just be renewed and refreshed. And so I'd actually literally call oh, people. I'd call random churches in different parts of the city and say, hey, I want you to come to this worship night. It's for you. I say, and, and I'd say, you you do not have to open mm. planning center. And they'd say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Are you joking? And I'll just show up. <laughs> and so we began we began hosting these worship nights just for ministry leaders. And of course, that didn't last because all kinds of folks started uh. coming. And uh, so we formed this collective called Renew Movement, where we we write songs to fuel the local church. We uh, we just we, we tr- we're trying our best to just write music for Sunday morning. And uh, it's just a fun time. That's amazing. Sounds so refreshing right now in the middle of COVID. Like I would love mm-hmm. to go and just have someone else pour into just, me. Yeah. I feel a little selfish about it. So it sounds incredible. We'll we'll pick them back up. Um, we'll pick them back up soon. Oh, please do. We need it. We all need it. Don't you feel like that, Brian? That oh, we need, absolutely. Like, yes. Please email us. <laughs> yes, put us on your list. Um, Greg, you just said that your history is music and church. You mentioned before growing up in the black church in Chicago. It's Black History Month right now. Kevin and I actually stayed up really late last night. We let our kids stay up with us watching the PBS documentary called, Mm -hmm. I think it's called Black Church. The Black Church. Church, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was powerful. I would love to hear from your perspective what you thought of it. And uh, we talked offline. You told us that you watched it. Oh, yeah. It was was just, it was exhilarating for me. I mean, the the it's almost it's almost like a, a real live what's the uh like the dna the dna test like you see kind of see yourself evolving mm-hmm. um you know i grew up my, my grandparents and their families great grandparents were part of the great migration from arkansas mississippi um to chicago so that's how my wow. family got here in chicago got here in Chicago. Um, my grandfather was just, I mean, he told me stories about segregation. He told me stories about racism in the South and, uh, and, and faith, right. And faith. And so watching that last night for me was powerful in looking at the origin of the black church, um, its texture, the reason as to why we, mm. um, uh, praise and express the, the, ourselves in the way we do, um, slavery, right. The resilience through slavery, how God works mm-hmm. even in oppressive situations. Oh, yes. It was just po- it was just powerful, and so I was just yeah. very glad to see that. I'm very thankful yeah. that they they aired that. And I think everybody should watch it. Um, I think it kills all types of stereotypes. I, I think it I think it answers so many questions, and then I think it proves like all right. That's why Greg gets crazy in church sometimes, man. It's in, it's in his DNA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Greg. Uh, this this is going to sound like a really big question, but I, I want to make sure to ask you this. Uh, as someone who leads the church, you're leading in multi-ethnic church, you're, you're kind of doing the work uh, that a lot of churches aren't willing to do. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeful for the Evangelical mm. Church of America? Where Where's kind of your heart at right now? Um, I am hopeful. Um, many times I'm discouraged. 
Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. And here's why I'm hopeful. I think, I think we're starting to feel the bleeding that's necessary before the healing. Now, I, now I know, mm. I know there's been a lot of hurt and trauma in the black community, but I think now more than yeah. ever that, that I've known that, um, I've got, I've got white brothers bleeding that are saying, man, listen, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I see it. I get it. You know what I mean? I, I I've, you know, yeah. I, I think God's, yeah. I think God's up to something and I don't want to, I don't want to make this, uh, this show what it's not, but I think like the pandemic and the, uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and these mm-hmm. very tragic, mm-hmm. these very, tr- this very tragic year we had as 2020, I felt like that was the breaking ground for what God wants to do across races. And if you look at yes. what's happened recently, yeah. I mean, there's been storming of the Capitol. There's been, I mean, this is new. This is all, this is fresh and it's crazy. But I believe that God's using that actually to reset us into yeah. motion. And so I'm yeah. hopeful. I don't have a choice but to be hopeful um, because I believe that God, re- you know, our church, mm-hmm. we exist to see all things new in all people. We believe in the renewal of all things. And I believe that God's in the process of changing, turning Amen. things around. And hey, that's the beauty, right? That's the beauty of the black Amen. church history. We have we have always had a resilience yep. in us to say, listen, I know I know, weeping may endure for yep. a night, but joy comes in the morning. So I, it's in me. I don't have a choice. Amen. It's going to turn around. I'm just hoping for my babies, <laughs> my boys. I'm hoping, we car- I'm hoping we carve, an- mm. carve out enough space. And I'm hoping we do enough work in my lifetime. So that my my three year old and my yeah. my my young boys that are coming up can have a new world. Love that! Such a good word for all of us, Pastor. Thank you so much. Amen. Hey, um, how can our listeners learn more about you and Renew Church and the Renew Movement? Tell us all things Greg Armstrong right now. Well, first thing is we are friends with Renewal Church, although we're Renew. That's Church. right, you are. <laughs> That's handy over there. But uh, yeah, right. so we're you know we're 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 just you know we're doing church. MyRenew.org is where our church uh, information is. GregArmstrong.org. You can go there. I try to just really, I'm trying to really have a voice into what God's doing in this season. Um, I'm doing some. I did something recently actually called Command Your Day. It's on my website at GregArmstrong.org, and it's just thirty video devotionals, and it was for. We did it during the pandemic, during Facebook Live every day because people were just discouraged and I would get up. There was no, it was not a lament devotional. This was like a get up, let's go mm. out, let's trust God. Let's, we're going to get through this. And so we decided to, mm. to create that into a video devotional. So if you need some encouragement, um, sign up for command your day. It automatically runs in your inbox every day. Um, but we're online. I mean, on, on Facebook, uh, my renewed, uh, my renewed church, Chicago, um, you can find me on Facebook, Greg Armstrong, Instagram, Greg Armstrong, and the church is my renewed church uh, underscore. So we're there. You guys jump on, hang with us, and we're excited about what God's doing in this season. Oh, it's great. Greg, we're super thankful that you joined us today again. Uh, pastor Greg Armstrong, founding and lead pastor of Renew Church. Where exactly is Renew Church? So people might know, hey, that's close to me. Where, where are you guys at? We're actually in Lyle, Illinois. We're meeting in mm-hmm. Northern mm-hmm. Seminary currently, and so we're we're about to turn three next month, y'all. So we're 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 babies. Oh, happy guys. birthday! But we're excited. Yeah, we're turning That's three awesome. next month, but we're in Lyle, and God's been doing some great work. And shout out to the entire Renew Church family who's listening. I love you all, and can't wait to see um, all of y'all real soon. 
That's awesome. Greg is the, again, founding and lead pastor of Renew Church. That's myrenew.org. You can also find out more about the Renew Movement and find all sorts of things at gregarmstrong.org. Greg, this is a ton of fun again, man. Thanks for joining us yeah, today. Thanks so, so fun. much. Absolutely. Oh, well, you're listening to The pleasure, Common Good. Yeah, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, joining us for a second day as our guest co-host. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us here on The Common Good today. Hope you're having a good, snowy, cold Wednesday afternoon. Uh, but hey, we're doing better than our friends down in Texas. Have you been following that, by the way? I don't oh, have much to say about that. Isn't that unbelievable, our, you know, though? I feel devastated for them. I I have actually a lot of family in Texas and Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And one of my um, aunts, her ho- inside her home, it was 11 degrees because they're having these horrible power outages there. And so people are actually, I mean, at first I was kind of making light of it, like, oh, they're amateurs, but they are actually suffering. They are actually in pain. They're actually hurting. So this winter, I mean, it just feels like hashtag 2020, even though it's 2021. Right, it carries on. Yeah, I'm, I'm praying for them. I'm hurting for them. I feel their pain. Yeah, it's just crazy. I saw another guy that I know. He tweeted, he's a pastor, and he was like, hey, people are asking if we're going to open the church as a warming center. He said the church is 30 degrees right oh, now. Like, bless oh, bless our hearts. goodness. Awful. Uh, yeah, if you've got family down there, again, be praying for them. And uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's no joke, as you said. It's no joke. So I, I did want to, uh, th- this is this is risky, uh, Aubrey. I'm, uh, you're now a radio professional. So I, I want to just kinda, Wow, already I got yep, my, I got my certificate. Okay, well, that was easy. All right. I just want to kind of fire a couple different stories and just see which one we could talk about, which one sticks. And and they're not some of them are hard. In fact, this first one was one that caused a lot of anger on Twitter uh, from people. And it's a bit of a continuation. Ian and I have actually spent a fair amount of time talking about Dave Ramsey. Uh, that and kind of his his uh, bravado and his right. bluster. Now, I use Dave Ramsey's, uh, you know, budgeting tool yep. on my phone. There's yep. lots of great stuff, but he has, seems to have been getting increasingly through COVID, like we're not shutting down mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, Dave Ramsey was on, I believe it was Fox News the other day. Uh, and Dave Ramsey said this about uh, the stimulus check. He said, uh I don't believe in a stimulus check because if $600 or $1,400 changes your life, you were pretty much screwed already. (gasps) You got other issues going on. You have a career problem. You have a debt problem. You have a relationship problem. You have a mental health problem. Then later on his radio show, Ramsey doubled down saying those who could benefit from the stimulus, quote, didn't have a life. And so Whoa. this is a well-known Christian financial group. The, the, the title of the article here, Christian Headlines, calls him Christian financial guru Dave yeah. Ramsey coming out and saying this thing. I caught you by surprise, apparently. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so give me first reactions. Why? I, yeah. And I guess without just going, man, that's crazy. Why is this, I'm assuming... It's not helpful in your opinion. Why is this not helpful? <laughs> uh, not helpful, especially from someone who is the Christian financial guru, kind of for right, better or for worse. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's what I would say. Like, I, uh, I, I like a lot of Dave Ramsey's principles. Not all of them, but I like all of them. I like his budgeting style. His, I really like his daughter Sheila Cruz. She's going to be in my podcast in a few weeks. Nice. Um, 
I <laughs> I think I reacted the way I did because it's uh, insulting mm-hmm. and because it, it's not that people have, how did he say it won't change? Or you have a, what did he say? You have a what problem? You have a debt problem. You have a relationship problem, problem. a career problem, and how a about, mental health okay, problem. How about you have a pandemic problem? Yeah. How about yeah. like, I, I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. I do a lot of work speaking around the country. Uh, 90% of my speaking gigs got canceled wow. because of COVID. And that's a lot of income for my husband and I, and our three sons. Yep. And so um, <laughs> does that mean I have a mental problem? Does that mean <laughs> I have like a life problem? No, it means I have a COVID problem as the whole world does. And the economy has tanked. And a lot of us need help to pay for the groceries. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but that comes across as incredibly privileged. It lacks of any compassion. Mm-hmm. And and if you're going to inspire people like to to follow your principles and to do what you believe is like biblical money handling, I think love is probably a better way to go about it than shaming people. That's just my pastoral heart. What do you I mean, what do you think, Brian? Am I wrong? No, I think you're 100% right. I do. Again, uh, I, on my phone right now, I have the Every Dollar Budget app. So there's a lot of thing, good things yeah. that come out of Dave Ramsey's organizations. Yeah. A lot of good things. But there has been, it seems like it's coincided with COVID with him, just an increased bluster, an increased mm. kind of bravado. This kind yeah. of like, Ian and I did multiple segments on Ramsey coming out and being like, uh, we are not working from home in our organization. Uh, we're not wearing masks, all this kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. COVID okay. Wow. That, uh, that And people lost their jobs around. It was just craziness. And so there does seem to be something going on with him. And I also, it seems like when some people get onto cable news, they just kind of go crazy. But uh, <laughs> Just lose their I, minds a little bit. I, 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 A, just don't think this is helpful because I think you laid it out very well that there are people who just need help right now. Yeah. They, that just need help. And B, uh, it would also be hypocritical not to point out that Dave Ramsey's uh, organization got a lot of tax breaks through COVID. Mm. Uh, and so you could make the same argument. I That's know it's right. different. It's a little apples and oranges, but there yeah. is enough similarity to go, yeah. hey, why didn't you turn those millions down right. uh, when you were expanding? <laughs> and so uh, you maybe think we're wrong out there. Go ahead. We'll put this up on our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Uh, all right. I have two others here. Let me do this one. Uh, this right. is fun. You're just like throwing things against the wall. We're gonna see what this is, this what our me. opinions are about this. Is me, this is me trusting you with my with my employment future. <laughs> Here, this is one that I didn't plan on doing, but I saw just like an hour before we started the show, and that is that famed Christian music icon and gospel music Hall of Famer Carmen died today. Oh and no! When, when I saw that, and he was actually planning a tour later this year, it sounds like it was complications to a surgery. Uh, but when I saw this, it was like, I feel like we're getting old enough now that there's like icons from our childhood where you're like, wait, he passed away. Oh, wait a minute. He died. And and that was one of those uh, for Carmen. And so uh, yeah. in, with that in mind, hey, what's what's just kind of your reaction when you hear that headline? And then as our producer, Debbie, was had a great idea, like who were some of those like Christian music, Christian mm. celebrity icons of your childhood? Oh, who, who were, like really, uh, really important to you. Oh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that he passed away. I know he, I mean, I think he was like 65. 65 so he still yeah. had a lot of years left. So, and I know he was really influential in a lot of people's lives. I think if I'm remembering right, I think Carmen was like my first Christian tape. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah, Carmen and maybe Stephen Curtis Chapman were like my first, you know, tape. So that I, I you know, my heart kind of like moves a little bit. I'm so yep. sorry to hear that he died. Um, I would say I get, <laughs> I go right to thinking of children music that was in, I mean, DC talk was huge for me. Yes. Um, I, you know, I didn't become a Christian until I was like almost in middle school. So I did miss some of the early evangelical stuff, but I, um, my family listens to a lot of gospel music. So Mahalia Jackson, she's an old tiny gospel singer. I really mm. like her. And then there, <laughs> there's this really old, it's called Rappin' for Jesus. <laughs> Rappin' for Jesus. Rappin' for Jesus to the beat. I think his name is DJ Stephen Wiley. And That's he rapped awesome. for Jesus. Yeah. So what about you? <laughs> that I, I almost feel like we need to end with it. Like, let you do a few more. <laughs> you know what? I remember going through like, uh, let's see if you remember these. Uh, I remember going through a stage of Petra, lots of Petra <laughs> tapes. <laughs> And, uh, Amazing, yes. And there was a band out of Chicago called the Res Band that I would. Ooh, uh, I, I don't know with. about the Res Band. And then in high school, I can I cannot count the number of these uh, uh, Newsboys concerts that I saw. That yes. was uh, Newsboys yeah. were huge, and uh, there was another one along with them. Pray for pray for rain. That was one. Yep, yeah, yep. they were another big one. Yep, yep. Good times. Good it times of Christian music. <laughs> it is. It is. And so that got me thinking when, uh, when I saw that Carmen had passed away. Again, it's sad, only age 65. So sad. And, uh, but it does kind of bring you back to your youth. As Aubrey said, what was your first Christian tape? <laughs> <laughs> tape. That, is, that is good. Well, the first hour is in the books. Coming up next, uh, going to talk about a story about a representative from Illinois who's made a lot of news, Adam Kinzinger. Uh, And he shared some stunning news the other day that I want to discuss. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger. And then we're joined by Sheila Ray Gregoire. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to be joined for a second day by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey day two. even came back for hour two of day two. So we're just going to keep <laughs> playing this out. <laughs> uh, here, uh, before we get into the story we're going to talk about here, I do have to ask you. Uh, I was I was uh, scrolling through Twitter today and you wrote something about a son of yours that was hilarious because every <laughs> one of us who are parents right now with sons, especially uh, could completely relate. So would you tell our audience what you tweeted this morning? <laughs> I mean, I think I tweeted like, what's up with middle school boys? <laughs> my my 14 year old refuses to wear a coat. It's negative four. <laughs> And he's like, no, mom, I don't need a coat. I'm too cool for a coat. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> Kid, you could get frostbite. I don't, you know, and as a parent, you kind of go, is this a fight worth having? This is a life lesson. If he doesn't wear a coat, he's going to get cold. So he's going to have to learn if he wants a coat or not. But then, yeah, as I tweeted that, I'm realizing this is apparently a thing with middle school boys that they just don't wear coats. Yes. Uh, My middle school boy, him and I went out on Saturday in the midst of like when it was snowing hard. And I looked at him. And he had a hat on and a coat, but was wearing slides. It was just like, what are you doing? He's like, I'll, he's like, I'll be fine. I'm like, it's, it's snowing outside, man. <laughs> like, 
like your so- your feet are going to get wet. Like, this is not like deep down. I don't care, but you're good. You're going to care. I'm telling right. you in a minute. And right. and right next to your slides are like four different pairs of boots and sneakers and shoes. <laughs> you can just put any of them on. <laughs> Maybe this is like a mark of maturity when we know they've matured. Like when they start wearing their coats again. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like now, me, I can't wear enough coats and hats. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Why do you want to be cool? Uh, Why is that cool? I don't get so it. So I used to do that to Ian all the time. I'd make him read his own tweets. So when I saw yours, I was like, "Oh, I'm bringing that up. That was funny. That made me laugh." <laughs> there you go. All right. So a complete right turn here. I do want to talk a little bit of politics, but not so much politics, but about how we talk to each other, especially Mm. even with families. So I want to use this story as the jumping off point. Many of you know of Republican representative from Illinois, Adam Kinzinger. Uh, Adam Kinzinger uh, has been very vocal, especially with uh, since January 6th and all that happened at the Capitol. He has been very vocal uh, about not just his dislike of President Trump or his opposition. I just I shouldn't say dislike his opposition of President Trump. And he voted for impeachment and all of that stuff. So let me just read the background of this story, because I found this just surprising and not surprising all at the same Mm. time. It says a new profile on Adam Kinzinger, uh, one of the few House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump, reveals that several family members actually sent him a handwritten letter criticizing his condemnation of the former president's actions. The letter goes on to say, Uh, Oh, my, what a disappointment you are to us and to God. You have embarrassed the Kinzinger family. It accuses him of joining, quote, the devil's army. And it was signed Mm. by 11 members of his family. The letter went on to say, you should be very proud that you have lost the respect of Lou Dobbs, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Greg Kelly, and most importantly, in our book, Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh. And so there's more of this letter. But when I read this, I was mm-hmm. like, this is what I, I'd love to know your reaction to this, Aubrey, because, again, I said I was really surprised to read like this is a representative's yeah. family who said, like, we want nothing right. to do with you. You're an embarrassment right. to us. Right. And then I think what also bothered me was that I wasn't actually that surprised by it. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> like, yeah, that's out of I can't. Well, nobody would ever do that. I'm like, yeah, I actually know <sighs> people like that. So uh, w- before we jump into kind of how what do we how do we process this? Just the story. How What's your reaction to the story as you read it? Well, I mean, I I feel a little bit like you, Brian, like I'm not totally surprised. It seems like a microcosm of um, the the American society right now. Families are divided by politics and not in a way they were a few years ago where maybe you could agree to disagree. It has become so vitriolic and so vicious and so hateful that things like this should be shocking. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is par for the course. But that's not okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're choosing your devotion to the empire over your devotion to a family member, um, the paradigm is messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I know we're all, you know, I, part of it is I'm like, is this pandemic emotions? We're all grieving. We're all holding anxiety and depression at bay. And so this has just become an outlet to like express all of our insanity yeah. or um, would these same things be happening uh, if it's four years from now, I I, I don't know, but I, I'm disturbed by it. Yeah, I and I think what, yeah, because I the next question I want to ask is how did we, uh, how do we get to this point? Like, what is it about our kind of filters that we're at this point? Like for me, and again, I would love to know what you think, uh, because for me, it's no longer we agree to disagree about politics. 
but that your politics and my politics um here, I'll put it this way. It's no longer that you and I disagree. It's that you're my enemy if you don't yes. agree with me. And it's become yes. very tribal and very enemy. Uh, yes. it's, it's now no longer a matter of Republican and Democrat for a lot of people, but it's instead a matter of good versus evil. And therefore, yes. it even uh, there is no, absolutely no pun intended here. I don't know what other word to use, but it actually just trumps even family for some people. And I've seen this with people in my church. I've mm-hmm. seen this with friends of mine and mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's really disheartening. And, and so I do want to turn it a little bit and ask you this. You and I are most concerned about the church. We're most concerned Absolutely. about about, uh, you know, the followers of Jesus. So yeah. uh, what's the word to Christians out there? How do we not fall prey to this? And if we are living like this or there are people in our lives living like this, uh, yeah. what do we do? What's the answer to this? Yeah, I, (laughs) oh, I feel like some, uh, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. helping us choose peacemaking over our personal preferences. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) man, it's real. There's a lot of this, there's a lot of, a lot of this frustration in my own church, like you said. Um, I think it's going to take some humility. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to take some stepping back and like, really asking ourselves before we're looking at the plank in the other person's eye, let's look at the one in our own eye, like Jesus tells us to do and say, okay, why am I being triggered by this so desperately? What am I holding on to so tightly? Are some of these things righteous and godly? Are some of these things on the other hand, idols? Are some Mm. of these things um, maybe even sin? Why does my rightness get to, for lack of a better word, trump the way I treat my brother or sister. And I, I think another question is like, even if you, you've been saying like, we're seeing them as villains or good versus bad, we're also beginning to question each other's faith. That's true. That's the stuff that Kevin and I are getting is like, oh, you call yourself a Christian. Well, but, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, I, I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ, as are you. Let's start there yeah. with honoring one another and then see if we can bring about some civil discourse. And again, I, I know I said this yesterday in the show, This these conversations have to happen in person, in community, with real human bodies, real flesh and blood. When we start doing it over Twitter and that like humanity is removed, I think that's our sin and our yuckiness just comes out. Yeah, absolutely. And then you add on top of it, that whole other layer of social media. And yes, and I understand that I'm saying this on a talk, on a radio talk. <laughs> right. But, There's irony. There isn't there, but, but cable news, talk radio, all of these echo chambers that we find ourselves into. Yeah. Uh, I, I've said this probably 15 times now, but if, if people have never seen, if you've never seen the social dilemma, I would encourage you to go watch it because it just. That's such a great, yeah, it's a it's great a show. Great movie. and terrifying all at the same time. That's so true. It is terrifying. Because you begin to understand what role social media, cable news, all of these things play in our lives and they, they form us these echo chambers. So then even when family members land outside that echo chamber, we go, I can't, they're on the other side. They are now mm-hmm. somehow my enemy or they i'm against them and man that is Mm -hmm. so dangerous in the family of god in the church but also in regular nuclear families or or extended families as well so uh this story of adam kinzinger you can read it up on our facebook page twitter and instagram at common good talk well coming up next sheila ray gregoire she is the author of a new book called the great sex rescue the lies you've been taught 
and how to recover what God intended. We're going to discuss that next, that new book that's coming out with her here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Aubrey Sampson. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. And one of the things we love to do on this show is to bring on authors and talk about interesting and new books. And with that in mind, we are thrilled to be joined by Sheila Ray Gregoire, uh, author of the book, The Great Sex Rescue. Sheila, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, why don't you, before we jump into the book, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Okay, well, I started out as like a mom and parenting blogger at to love, honor, and vacuum.com. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I noticed that every time I talked about sex, my traffic went up. Like, who knew? People like <laughs> sex, you know? So <laughs> I started writing about that more and more. My, my first sex book came out in 2012, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And as I've been looking into this more and more over the years, I've just realized that no matter how much good content I put out there, people still have the same problems. And I thought mm. that the mm. issue is not a lack of me giving good content. The issue is that there's something really rotten with our foundation. So last year, wow. I did the biggest mm. survey that's ever been done of Christendom. I surveyed 20,000 Christian women to figure out what's really going on. And I'm excited about what's going to happen with the Great Sex Rescue. Wow, that is incredible that you were able to survey that many Christian women. I can't wait to find out your research. Yeah. Um, tell me, like, okay, I want to step back just a little bit, Sheila, and tell me the great sex rescue. Why does sex need to be rescued? What do we rescue it from? I have some ideas, but I want to know yours. Well, what's happened in the evangelical world is that we have started talking about sex in really toxic ways that I don't actually think reflect what the Bible says. And so what we wanted to do in our survey mm. was measure some of the teachings that we thought were toxic and see if they affected women. And they really did. And so we're like, hey, you don't need to believe this. It's better if you don't. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Come out, come out yeah. from the dark yeah. side kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious, what's the reaction in the evangelical world, like you said, in the, in the Christian world to writing a sex book? Are people like telling you that you're doing something wrong? Like, I, and I'm sure that's part of the problem you, you attack in this book. But I'm just curious what the, uh, what the reaction is when people even hear about the content matter of your book. People don't mind me talking about sex, honestly. Like before COVID, my husband and I, we spent a lot of our time in an RV going around North America. And I have this sex talk I give at churches. We, we give a sex talk as a couple. Um, so much fun. And lots of churches love to book it because the pastor has a hard time talking about sex from the pulpit. You can't say certain words from the pulpit. Right, so right. I think, I think that's really, you know, helpful. I think what, what, is scary about this book for a lot of people high up in the evangelical world is that I'm taking on some really sacred cows and some really big books because mm. we did, we looked at the best selling evangelical marriage and sex books to see how they rated on a 12 point scale of healthy sexuality and the results were not pretty. And so I just mm. want to call the church mm. to more. I, we should be doing this Good better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you um, talk a little bit? I don't want to, you to give away too much content of your book, but can you talk a little bit about that 12 point scale and kind of what you see as healthy sexuality for Christians? Yeah. Well, what we were looking at is like, is it mutual? You know, is sex about both the man and the woman? <laughs> is it pleasurable? 
And are we, and is it intimate? And are we making sure that we're not blaming the other person for infidelity? Like, does the blame wow. for infidelity lie at the right feet? Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. th- those are the big picture issues. And, you know, what we find in a lot of our evangelical books is that it's not about mutuality at all. Like, um, love and respect, yeah. for instance, says if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So mm-hmm. he's telling women you don't need sex. And that right. He's telling women you're not sexual beings. Exactly. <laughs> and that is the that is what is said throughout um, our books. Not all of them, but the majority mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So of all this research you conducted, what surprised you the most when you kind of looked at all the results? What was the most surprising finding you had? Um, well, here's a sad one. <laughs> um, when we surveyed the the best-selling evangelical marriage and sex books, we looked at 13 books that fit our criteria. And then we also looked at the best-selling secular marriage book, which was John Gottman's Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. There was only one book out of those 14 that even said the word consent. Wow. Oh. And guess which book it was? Yeah, it was Gottman. It was Gottman. Yeah. Yeah. So now yeah. some books like Boundaries and Marriage, for instance, you know, they definitely they definitely agree with consent and and they got full marks for that. But when you when you want an actual conversation about what consent looks like in marriage, that's missing from our evangelical conversation. And in fact, many of our books contain stories of marital rape without even calling it that, or they downplay its significance. Mm. You know, in, in active marriage, mm-hmm. they tell the story of Aunt Matilda, who uh, was raped while kicking and screaming on her wedding night. And then later, Tim LaHaye says Ugh. that Aunt Matilda never embraced, you know, a happy view of sex. And so she and her equally unhappy husband suffered. And so he called the rapist equally Ugh. unhappy as his rape victim. And that book went through four editions. Ugh. And that anecdote was never taken out. Mm. My heart is breaking listening to this, Sheila, and I'm just, I'm just thinking you need to write like a probably a healing book mm-hmm. <laughs> side by side with this book on sex. I'm wondering as you're just you're probably carrying a lot of women's stories and a lot of women's heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? How are you just sort of moving forward in? hope in the middle of all of this. Thank you for asking me that. Like, nobody asks me that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. Honestly, it is really rough, especially, and I think what was so hard mm. was reading all of these books. And whenever I speak out about them, people get upset. But like, Every Man's Battle literally called women the methadone for husband's porn addictions. They said, you should mm. be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. And that's just oh. so dehumanizing. And that book sold like 4 million yeah, copies. And yeah, I just, I just find it really difficult to think, is that how men see me? Like do Christian mm-hmm. men? And, and I had, I, that's a hard question to ask because I don't believe men think that way. I really don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, but, but when you look at our books, the, the way they talk about women is so dehumanizing and so objectifying. And I just want us to do better. Yeah. Uh, Sheila, with just the minute or two we have left, and we just greatly appreciate you coming on. Uh, what's your hope for the book? I, I've never written a book. The two of you have written books, but I'm sure when you sit down to write mm-hmm. a book, you go, this is what I hope comes out of it. So how would you kind of define your hope for this book? Well, Aubrey said, maybe I need to write a healing book. I actually think The Great Sex Rescue is quite healing because what we do is we say, okay, look, oh, good, this good. is what you've been taught, 
but let's bring it back to Jesus. Let's see what messages really work. Let's reframe. Let's rescue and reframe what you've been taught to reflect more of Christ. And, you know, we've had 500 people reading it in our launch team, and they just say, this is it. This is what I should have been told Mm -hmm. before. This is like someone sees me. I feel validated. I feel like God actually cares about me. And that's just what I want people to get, both men and women, because it's not just for women. It's like, let's rescue this so sex can be everything God meant it to be. Awesome. That is fantastic. Uh, We're grateful to be joined by Sheila Ray Gregoire, uh, and she uh, is the author uh, of the new book, The Great Sex Rescue, The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. Sheila, as we let you go, where can people find more of your stuff? Where could they find your book? But maybe where can they also find you, social media, websites? Why don't you give us all of that? So I'm at to love, honor, and vacuum.com. I blog about sex almost every day. There's links there to my books, my courses, um, everything. You can find The Great Sex Rescue wherever you buy books, Amazon, ChristianBooks.com, anything like that. Um, and then I'm all over Instagram and Twitter as Sheila Gregoire. Awesome. Well, Sheila, thank you so much. We hope your thank book you is so great. Thank you so much, Sheila. Yes, thank you. Well, thanks, thanks for, for having on. me. It's our pleasure. And you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined for a second day by Aubrey Sampson. We are glad that you are joining us today. Uh, Anybody who's been around the show for a while knows that we love to talk Scott Saul. Scott has been on the show multiple times, but when he's been on the show, we've, we've... We've told him that he he can't he has no idea how often we quote him on this show. <laughs> he doesn't know you're like fanboys. Oh my! Okay. Well, he does now because <laughs> we told him. But the number of times uh, from scottsalls.com that we read his blog posts or just straight from his Twitter account, uh, Scott has authored many good books. Most re- recently, a gentle answer. He is also pastor. Mm. Uh, of uh, is it Christ Presbyterian Church, I think, in Nashville. Ian is going to be uh, apparently his neighbor now, so he can go just uh, now really fan. Be careful, Scott. Scott he is going to stalk you. <laughs> He's coming. Uh, but uh, Scott, just the other day, wrote on his blog this, Wrecked Marriages, Infidelity, and Addiction, dot, 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 Seeds for Revival. Let me Hmm. get us into this. Scott writes, I love how Jesus brought outsiders into his circle. I love how he kept company with people we would least expect. Don't you? Jesus was always welcoming pagans and prostitutes and sinners, in quotes, into his company, wooing us all to belong with him even before we believed in him. Meanwhile, Hmm. the Pharisees and the scribes muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But Jesus made no apologies. He was willing to offend the faithful in order to make space for the sinful and the sick. He was willing to be associated with drunks and gluttons and even labeled as such in the eyes of the religious establishment. He didn't come for the righteous, after all, but the sinners. He did not come for the healthy, but the sick. In my years of ministry, Scott writes, whenever Christians have assumed a similar posture, something like revival has emerged. Jesus and sinners, he welcomed and ate with them. He loved and reassured them and refused to condemn. Let me pause there. Aubrey, that line right there. So he talks about who Jesus spent his time around and what the reaction, but just that line. So I love Scott Sauls. He writes, in my years of ministry, whenever Christians have assumed a similar posture, something like revival has emerged. Let me ask you this. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with what Scott is saying there? And maybe flesh that out as to there might be people going, wait. 
I thought revival happens when we worship more, when we pray more, (laughs) whatever else. What do you think of that line there from Scott? Oh, I mean, I think, first of all, Scott is so wise. So I would have a hard time maybe like uh, picking apart (laughs) anything he said. Um, But I, I mean, of course, doesn't it make sense that when we assume the posture of Jesus and love those that Jesus loved, we would see the gospel bear fruit and we would see revival happen in our nation and in our land. Um, I, man, um, it's pretty convicting to think about though. Like, am I, am I hanging with those that Jesus would have Mm -hmm, hung with? mm -hmm. Is my church um, in my neighborhood? Do I, you know, who are my neighbors? Really? That's the old question, right? Who is my neighbor? Am I loving them like Jesus did? But I think all of us are longing for revival, especially after 2020. I think a lot of us have a sense that the ground is ripe for revival to happen. And so the fact that he's saying, hey, maybe maybe the relational wreckage we're seeing is actually ground beginning to break yeah. so that God can move mountains mm. and we can see um, hearts come back to him and marriages be revived and children and their parents be reunited. I mean... I, I know God can do those things. I think it's a beautiful perspective. What do you think, Brian? Oh, it's it's first of all, it's classic Scott Sauls because I've never met or talked to a pastor uh, who has such a big stage who is so humble and kind of sees mm. himself in this way. It's really refreshing. Uh, wow. But it does. Right. It, it makes even logical sense to say that if we want to see Jesus act, we should act the way that Jesus did when he was here. Love the people Jesus loved, associate in the same ways. Uh, that, that that would even make logical sense. But you're right. We do. Uh, it's easy. I, I've shared many times. I grew up in the church world, went to Wheaton College, work in a church. It yeah. becomes really easy just to insulate yourself with church people uh, and with other people uh, who are Christians. And, and it becomes, uh, you know, so you read an article like this and you go, yeah, that's exactly right. But then you look at your own life, like you said, you look yeah. in the mirror and you go, Yeah, I I don't know. That's really hard. Let me read how Scott, there's so much more in the middle of this, but let me read how he ends it. And then I want to ask you to close this. I've got a question for you. He goes, there's only one way. Love must be a person to us Mm -hmm. before it can become a verb. And the one who is love incarnate, Jesus, doesn't just love us when we're at our best. He also loves us when we're at our worst, when we are caught in the act, when we fall asleep instead of watching and praying with him, when we deny him three times, when we become persecutors, when we come into his prayer meetings drunk, drunk on our ambition, our greed, our grudges, our pornographic imaginations, our self-righteousness. Even then, Mm -hmm. his love for us is secure. And let me go down a little bit. He says, how do we love like Jesus? It starts with resting and receiving. It starts by stopping. We can stop trying to love like Jesus and instead learn what it means to be with him. Because the more we're with Jesus, the more we will become like him. Love is caught more than it is achieved. Get close to love and love tends to rub off. Let's pursue this path, the love path, shall we, is how he ends. Uh, Aubrey, let me let you kind of unpack that for people. I feel like that is such an important line, he says, that we could stop trying to love like Jesus and instead learn what it means to be with him. There might be people out there right now going, I don't under, what do you mean be with him? How am I with Mm. Jesus? So Mm. what are your thoughts on that? What he has to say there and this idea of being with Jesus? I would say, I mean, I I love that. Like, I, I think one of the biggest lessons that Christians surprisingly need to learn is just to let God love us. 
Um, and for whatever reason, that is a hard thing to do. I feel like over the past year, that's been a lesson the Lord's been kind of working in my heart is like, just be with me. Your, your accolades, your achievements, your, you know, ambition, those are good things, but those are secondary things compared with the joy of just being in my presence and letting me love you and you loving me back. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like, um, you know, as horrible as the pandemic has been, one of the beautiful things about it is has been some the gift of time. And I've personally just re rescheduled my life so that being with Jesus has been a, a central part of my life again mm-hmm. it, in a way that it used to be. I and then I got too busy and I kind of put Jesus on the side. And um uh I just think our being matters more than our doing or our being should our doing should flow out of our being. Right. And so for instance, I've always been a Bible study reader, but I tended to, uh, for a while, got in a habit, I think as a lot of pastors do, where you're reading the Bible to write a sermon, right? right. Or you're reading it and you're going, Ooh, this would make a great illustration. And I think that's okay. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But I just found myself committed this year, starting with the new year to say, I am going to read the Bible devotionally again, like just let Jesus speak to me. And then I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, do you have anything to say? And I'm just going to be quiet for a few minutes to see if the Lord has some words to speak over me as his daughter. Um, And I am to the point now where that to me, that intimacy with the Lord matters more Mm -hmm. than anything I can do throughout the day. And again, I feel like that feeds the way that I mother, the way that I minister, the way that I go about the world. Yeah, that's good. In the world. Absolutely. I love that. Again, that line that Scott Sauls kind of ends with, he goes, get close to love and love tends to rub off, right? A lot of us are mm. like, I have to go out there and love people. So Jesus will be happy with me. But uh, Sauls is basically saying, Hey, draw near to me or right. We talk about in the book of John uh, be uh, that, that, that when we're connected to the vine, when we remain yeah. in him, that, that yeah. these things flow out of us. And so, so often, we reverse that. So I'd love for you to read this article from Scott Sauls, this blog from Scott Sauls at scottsauls.com. Uh, it's well worth your time. That's up at our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at Common Good Talk. Uh, well, we're going to end now talking, uh, we're going to end the show coming up next, talking about a blog from Ed Stetzer at Christianity Today. Coming up here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined uh, for one more segment by Aubrey Sams. And Aubrey, let me just thank you. This has been a ton of fun. And, this has uh, been so fun. It's always, a, you know, it's always a little a little strange when they're like, hey, you're going to host with this person or you're going to do this. And you're like, well, it's like right. it's like in school when they told you you're doing a group project with Billy over with there. With someone you, know? you don't really know or for the very first time. Yep. Uh, this, <laughs> I think we would get an A, yes, an A plus to us. Yes, well, I guess we'll find out. But this has been a ton of fun. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing it. Uh, we'll make sure it's not the last time. But um yeah, Aubrey and I, we didn't even get the stories about your husband who I went to college oh, with. Oh, so. so sad. Yeah, I'll definitely have to come back. Just we'll do a whole episode on Kevin Sampson's whole episode. stories. That might be its own show here on the station. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. So uh, today is Ash Wednesday, and it is the beginning of the Lenten season. And we talked at the beginning. Why don't you remind people uh, kind of of the resource that goes along with your book called The Louder yep. Song. But then also you were talking about another resource that might be good mm-hmm. for people. Yep. I have partnered with NavPress and Tyndale to create a seven-week uh, devotional for Lent, uh, which you can get through your email. It's free resource. It walks 
you through a journey of lament, of crying out to God through this lament or Lent season <laughs> leading up to Easter. And you can go to my Instagram page at obsamp. You'll see the link there in the bio. You can sign up there. Um, you can also find it on navpress.com as well. And then, yeah, a good friend of mine, Jen Pollock Michelle, she is, um, she's actually won the Christianity Today Book of the Year several times. She's a brand new book out uh, yesterday called A Habit Called Faith. 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. And that would be another great Lent resource if you're looking for a way to grow closer to Jesus over the next 40 days. That's a, that sounds like a great one. So uh, hopefully those are helpful for people. And as you go into this Lenten season, kind of walking towards Easter, uh, it can be an impactful time. So let me encourage you to go get Aubrey's book, A, Loud, the, a Louder Song. Uh, I'm sure people can get that Amazon or do you like them? Some people don't like the people getting books on Amazon, but is Amazon the best spot to get it? Amazon is a great place to get them. It is sold wherever books are sold. But of course, Amazon's easy. And if you have Amazon Prime, then just do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's one really important thing that we never did discuss in our two days together here. And then if we have time, we'll get to this Ed Stetzer article as we end. Uh, you and I had an email dialogue before our first show in which you expressed how excited you are for the return of Punky Brewster. <laughs> And that sent us down a long path about late 80s, early 90s television yes. for kids. Uh, yes. Is Punky Brewster the pinnacle for you? Is she the highlight? And are you legitimately excited by a Punky Brewster reboot? Okay, so let me answer it like non-ironically. <laughs> I am very excited for a Punky Brewster uh, remake, reboot. And I don't mean that ironically. I'm so excited. I loved Punky Brewster and her pigtails and her cool shoes and her cool socks. And so I want to see who Punky has become as an adult. Is this now, her as an adult? Is that the point of the of the reboot? Yeah, oh, she's no an way. adult. Now, there, of course, there is a part of me that like is rolling my eyes, knowing it's probably not going to be the best show that's ever been on the air. Um, but I hope that it's enjoyable and delightful and, and brings back some of the nostalgia. I know my husband, Kevin, Brian, who you know, mm -hmm. has been obsessed with the Karate Kid reboot nice. on Netflix <laughs> because he was a big Karate Kid fan growing up. And that has brought back a lot of nostalgia for him. So there is something about nostalgia, like the TV people are tapping into it. A hundred percent are. I, I think I told you over email of all of the like late 80s, early 90s shows, if I could just go back to one. Uh, it's the Wonder Years. Like I, oh, such a good show. Love the Wonder Years, but I, I talked, I put something on Facebook the other day. It was some crazy thing. Like if the Wonder Years was now, it would be like somebody being in 1981, and you're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't feel that very long ago. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. So weird. No, it's even worse. Not 1981, 2001. <laughs> That's, no, yeah. no, 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 no. 2001. It's like a 25 no, no, no. It's That's like a 20 not okay. year difference. <laughs> and somebody in and all these people start commenting like about how crazy and how much they love the Wonder Years. And then of course there's that one guy and he's like, "Oh, I got the uh, I just recently went through it with my kids. It really wasn't very good anymore." I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Don't ruin our childhood for us. I do, you know, you do go back and watch some of those childhood shows. Uh, we have anyway, or childhood movies with our kids, because you want to introduce them to things that you thought were cool. Yep. And you're kind of watching them as an adult going, oh, oh, should I have seen that as a kid? Yes. Oh, that maybe wasn't appropriate. Oh, maybe we should turn this off yes. now. Like, 100% true. <laughs> Another one we watched the other day with our three kids. Carrie and I were like, hey, let's watch. Uh, do you remember Groundhog Day? It was, of course, on Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Yes. We're like, this is so funny. You guys are going to love this. And we watched it and it wasn't funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> You're it, like, oh, wait, it did not translate at all. We're like, oh, I'm looking at my kids and they are bored out of their minds. Like, 
Oh, that's like so, so funny. We we let our kids watch uh, Ghostbusters because we were thinking, yes. oh, that'll be fun. And we remember it fondly. And that was one of those where we were like, oh, 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 the language and the way they're talking about women. And oh, oh, oh. So we, we turned that one off so <laughs> quickly. We, uh, we, this was not the point of this, but this is really fun. This is uh, we were going to a month or two ago. I said, let's watch Ghostbusters. And Carrie was smart enough to like look it up online and was like, yeah, yeah. I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> yeah, she was right. She was right. It, it was a cautionary tale for us. Uh, anyway, so we uh, <laughs> let us know your favorite ones. But yeah, the Wonder Years for me, uh, that that is the one. Good old Kevin Arnold. That was so. a great show. I still have feelings for Kevin Arnold. My husband knows that. So it's OK. I just said that out loud. But oh, I love that. I love little Kevin. Yeah. But every every young boy my age and your husband's age loves Winnie Cooper. Winnie Cooper. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, was, absolutely. Absolutely. So I did want to end with like the last three minutes we have here. There was a great article by Ed Stetzer. In fact, Stetzer wrote, wrote three articles at Christianity Today because that's what friend of the show Ed Stetzer does. He doesn't just write one article. So uh, Ed wrote <laughs> right. three articles about leadership lessons from the pandemic. And so I, I just want to jump to the very end. Let me read these as we try to leave you with some encouragement today. Uh, Ed says a better approach to leadership would be to keep in mind our mission, our why, and in particular in unprecedented times like ours, to be responsive to what is in front of us in a way that is consistent with our strategy. So how do we respond? He's talking about in the midst of a pandemic, how do we as leaders respond? He says, Mm. one, we respond with hope. People are desperate for hope and hope is consistent with the gospel. We have the blessed hope. What if believers across social media platforms chose not to promote anxiety through posting politicized views nonstop and instead gave testimonies of loving their neighbors, doing good to others, and the hope we have in Christ? You can be the person who checks on others, who goes beyond the ordinary to show honor to others. So one, we respond with hope. Two, we respond with peace. Demonstrate, Ed writes, the peace of Christ. Paul told the Philippian church that by prayer, we can experience a peace that passes understanding. We don't ha- we don't help to show the way of peace by adding to the angst of this time. It could be the best way we show our witness for Christ right now is to determine is to demonstrate peace in the midst of the storm. We show calm and trust in the Lord, even when a family member contracts the virus, even when some think it's overblown. We respond with peace and three Ed so writes, good. we respond with faith. We could be Mm. those who show faith in God, even when we can't be sure of the near future. We can show the faith of the early church. Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So it says we respond with hope. We respond with peace. We respond with faith. Aubrey, with like the last minute we have, uh, kind of jump off of that, of what Ed had to say there, of the opportunity we as Christians have, even in the midst of a divided culture, in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, man, Ed Setzer, he, that man is so wise. I love learning from him. I, I, you know, it, a, a scripture came to mind from John 16. Jesus is talking. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I feel like that's the hope for us all right now. Jesus has overcome the world. We, we can have hope. We can have peace. We can have faith. We can love other people because of what Jesus has done for us and is doing in us. And that's the greatest hope right now. Absolutely. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, Aubrey, this was a ton of fun and hopefully we'll have you back to do it again. But thanks so much for doing this. It was really fun. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. This was awesome. Absolutely. And we're really thankful to all of you who listen. We'll be back tomorrow. 
from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.